You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Bring your Bibles to John chapter 10, please. You know, I think we all love to go see a great movie. Is that not true? Go to the movie... You escape reality for an hour and a half or two hours, and you can feel free. But last night I was turning out movie titles, and how they relate to our lives. And you'll be amazed how many movie titles can be applied to a life of a disciple. I want to give you about 10, 12 examples. If you're living without God, your life can be entitled by the dark night. Produced in 2008. If you're a disciple, but you're falling back into sin, your life can be entitled the sequel to the dark night, the dark night rises again. Now hopefully that's not the case for us. You're going through hardships and tribulations. Your life will be entitled by the 1976 movie Rocky. Now, this is one of my favorites. If you haven't been in studies in a long time, you're not sharing your faith. Your life will be entitled The Silence of the Lambs. You with me? Now, if you're Looking to go back to your old life. 1954, Weir Window. Weir Window. Weir View Window. Sorry. If you are in the battle, you are sharing your faith boldly. You're in studies, in there with people. Your life will be entitled Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Jenny. If you feel good about yourself and you're self-righteous, you'll be named after the 1990 movie Goodfellas. If you're in a dating relationship, you like a sister or brother, but you're not sure you're confused, you are Dr. Strange Love. Produced in 1964. If you've fallen away, you are the movie 2006, The Departed. If you love gossip, your life will be according to the 2006 movie, The Lives of Others. If you've been around for a while, but you have no zeal, no passion for God, you're named Old Boy, 2003. And finally, if you are looking for God, your life can be entitled Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which is a good thing. You know, in 1994, a movie came out the name of Pulp Fiction. Maybe I saw it. It's an extremely violent movie. And that's why I won't see it again. (laughs) But I didn't know that before I saw it. But today's message will be entitled something similar to Pulp Fiction. It's going to be entitled Satan's Fiction. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. All right. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says here, let's start in verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Isn't this what every person is looking for? Life to the full. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what I want? Isn't that what every single person 
And this world wants no exception. That's God's plan for our lives. His plan is for you and I to have a life to the full. Satan tries to come in and steal that life to the full. I remember one of my religion teachers in high school. He used to say that Satan is God's ape. He tries to imitate God, but with a twist. And he will do the same with our lives. See, he will try to sell us a life to the full, which appears very attractive. And appears like, well, if my life could just be like that, it would be so awesome. But it only leads to destruction. And one of the ways that Satan and his world destroys our life more than perhaps any other way or manner is through sexual impurity. And that's why the first point is entitled, also after a movie, The Grand Illusion Produced in 1938. See, there's a lot of misconception, a lot of confusion out there about sex, our sexuality, and how we need to go about it. And the truth is that confusion comes into the church like this. And we don't even know it. You know, I asked Michael two weeks ago, I said, bro, I said, I really want to preach. And what brought me to that point that I just I just wanted to preach was the amount of brothers that I've spoken to that confess impurity. You know, God is so awesome, God always comes through. That's right. He Always right. comes through. Right. He has always come through in my life. Now, not always the way I wanted to, but always the way it needed to. Yeah, right. You know, I remember in, in, during my college days as a young disciple, you know, you're 20-some, and all the hormones are, are moving around, flowing around, and all my friends were not disciples, sleeping with their girlfriends, doing all that stuff, I'm a disciple, and i got to be righteous. And I'm like, why can't I do that? And the temptations at times were indescribably strong. That you're like, man, this girl, she's really attractive and she seems like she just likes me. I was like, oh. But God protected me. I stayed righteous, faithful. And God put in my life the most awesome woman I could imagine marrying. Now, I don't know how awesome she was when I married her. (laughs) I know she was awesome. I didn't know the degree of awesomeness that she had in her. And every once in a while, I think about my friends from college who were sleeping around doing whatever the heart told them to do where they would be at right now and I think to myself I am so grateful that God protected me from the temptations from from my natural inclinations because if God had not protected me I would not have this marriage it would not be there remember as a young disciple being on vacation in Curious, having a talk with my dad. Now, I had many discussions with my dad and not, not the most awesome discussions that are to be remembered because they weren't very happy that I'd become a disciple. But one of them, we were in the car and I remember where we were driving 
and exactly what was going on. And my dad asked me, in your church, do you believe in not having sex before marriage? And I said, yes. And he got upset. I was like, wow. Some parents would think this is a good thing. <laughs> but, and my dad said, how can that be? Before you drive a car, you got to check out the car first. You got to test drive it. <laughs> you know how many people get divorced because they are physically not compatible? Because they don't know each other? And I was listening and at the end I said, you know what? This is the issue. If there's no discipline before, there's no discipline after. And my dad kept silent for the rest of the way home. And I felt awesome. <laughs> because it was the first time in all those discussions about church and this and that that my father stayed silent and humble. <laughs> so I felt pretty awesome. And that's probably why I remember where we were driving and everything, all the details. <laughs> but you know, Satan can deceive us even as disciples. First, I want to talk to the men a little bit and after that to the women, if that's okay. Let's talk about pornography. Let's be open about it. Before I became a disciple, pornography was a big part of my life. No internet, so you had the magazines and the movies that had to be rented and everything. But the last couple of days I did some research on the pornography industry. I read articles written by former, but people formerly involved acting in that industry. And I read some stats. Here are the facts. So that when you're tempted to look at them, when you're looking at that, keep these facts in mind. They will help you to have a stronger conviction. The pornography industry is fasted with drugs and alcohol. All women and a lot of men are high or drunk when they're making those movies. Because they have to numb the pain. They cannot do it when they're sober. Because the pain is unbearable. A hundred percent of the actors have some kind of sexually transmitted disease. So when you're watching that, and you're lusting after one of those women, you keep in mind, she's high, she's drunk, she has a disease. An article written in October 2008 stated that there were 4.2 million porn sites on the internet. 12% of the total amount of websites available at that time on the internet. 25% of all searches by search engines are for pornographic websites. 25%. 40 million Americans in 2008 regularly visited pornographic websites. In August of 2005, in the United States alone, 71.9 million people visited pornographic websites. That is equal to 43.7% of the total website audience. You know, the women are lied to. They're groomed. It's not like they go and say, oh, I want to do this. This looks so awesome. They're grown, they're lied to, they'll tell them, I don't want to do this, and they'll say, fine. But when it comes to it, they are forced to perform. And that's why they're high. They do not enjoy it. It is a painful experience. And that's why we need to make sure they're high or drunk before they 
start making the movie. They're used and they're abused. Pornography destroys a man's and a woman's character. You know, it has been proven that the younger a man or a boy is exposed to porn, the harder it will be for him to develop intimate and healthy relationships with women. Porn will destroy your moral fabric. Porn will destroy the man God wants you to be. It's not just, I'm, I'm just sinning a little bit. I'm just looking at something. Well, no one gets hurt. It's just a little look. It will destroy the man that God wants us to be. So I ask all of us, when are we going to repent? And see it for what it is and put it behind us. Instead of playing with sin, letting it destroy us, becoming weak character men who cannot take a stand for God. That is the question we need to ask ourselves. You know, it hurts me so much. When men that I respect, that seem in the world's eyes powerful, self-made, respectable, when you find out what they've been looking on in their computer. Man, that everyone says, man, I really want to be like him. On the outside, it looks good. But the inside is full of darkness. Brothers, we've got to have a conviction about pornography, about lust. Some of us, it is destroying our lives. And it is destroying the church. And it will affect your life. Here's the thing about sin. We repent, we're forgiven, but the consequences will be there. You know, when I got married, I was a virgin. Not because I was such a righteous man, but I used to be very shy. So I never had the courage to make the actual approach. But I'd been to the striptease clubs, all of those things. And I remember doing that the first time and just feeling blah when I walked out, just like guilty and like something me was destroyed. But, you know, then you do it more and more and it becomes like a a normal thing because the moral fabric you had has been destroyed and so there's nothing there to feel pain anymore. Now, women don't struggle as much with pornography, but they have their struggles, amen? Women is more, uh, tell me sweet little lies. They make me feel good. You know, when Maria and I, when Maria moved to Curacao, she moved to Curacao to, to lead the women. And obviously, us to lead in a church, we would spend a lot of time together. And she had a roommate at the time by the name of Kim. And Kim, when they asked her, she said, do you like Michael? And she said, no. 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 Why do you say that? Well, for someone who doesn't like him, you surely talk a lot about him. <laughs> like a great brother, but not for me. Why not? Well, I can give you four or five reasons. He can't dance. He can't dress. And they're all right on the mark. He can't sing. He's not romantic. And he's too tall. All of them 
them are true. <laughs> and you know, a sister didn't share with her. She said, you know what, sis? With your heart, you would turn down Jesus to marry you if you had the chance. <laughs> Because in Isaiah, there's a prophecy that says there was nothing in him. He was basically unattractive. Now, where do these things come from? From Hollywood? From the world? Boy, I want someone looking like Denzel Washington! Brad Pitt! myself to a lower standards. I have high standards. Well, first of all, uh, who do you look like? Who do you look like? Do you look like, uh, give me some names here. Do you look like Angelina Jolie? Uh, uh, okay, well, then don't look for Brad Pitt. Thing is, what really makes a man the right man for you? Oh. You think it's going to be a fairy tale when you get married? You're going to be dancing for 40 years in a row? <laughs> you think it's going to walk in a suit in the morning, at night, all hours of the day? You don't think it's ever going to smell bad? <laughs> So what happens when he smells bad? Okay, the marriage is off. When you repent, we get married again. You can come. Because those things are fantasy. Those things do not make a marriage. So what are you looking for in a man if you are a sister? Because if these are your criteria, you are going to fall away for a man in the world. Who's going to tell you nice, white little lies. Who's going to be all looking all sharp? Who's going to take your dancing? Who's going to romance the stone? They're going to be head over heels. And then when you get married, your life is going to be upside down. Because the foundation of that marriage was not God. Here's the thing that all of us have got to understand. If someone cannot be faithful to the almighty God, who has the power to send us to hell, you can forget about being faithful to a regular human being. It will not happen. So all of us, whether you're a man or woman, we've got to stop being deceived by the garbage in the world. Become men of character, women of conviction, and advance God's kingdom. Have an exemplary marriage that inspires others to want to be there. That is the grand illusion. And you know, one day you will find out it's an illusion, but then it's always too late. And even if it's not, you will have to bear the consequences for the rest of your life. I want to share one last thing. When I got baptized, I moved into a brother's household. And we were seven disciples. Out of the seven disciples, two fell away. No, sorry, six. Two fell away. The other three are faithful, but all have been immoral or unfaithful to their wives. Disciples. And I'm the only one that has been faithful to Maria. And I'm not saying that to build myself up. But it's just so sobering. And I'm so super grateful to God that, that he, has, he has protected me from that. But, you know, but for some of us, our problem is not actually sinning. Like sinning actively. For some of us, the problem is the expectations we have of being a disciple. 
And this point, I have titles from two movies. One is Rocky, where life gets rocky. And the other one is The Tender Trap. But I thought as a disciple, all be rosy and nice. And then I will have no struggles. Why am I still struggling with this if I got baptized? You know, I've met so many people that say, well, well, what do you feel when you get baptized? Well, you feel wet. Is that what you mean? No, no, no. What do you feel inside? It's like, well, obviously you're happy, but you don't really feel like, zoom, the Holy Spirit is in there. And, you know, all of a sudden you feel like Superman and no more temptations. Life is perfect. No more struggles. No. Here's the thing, guys. Open, when we're studying the Bible up until we get baptized, we're going through a process of repenting. Once we get baptized, we're going through a process of refining. And that will last until the day we breathe our last breath. First Timothy chapter 6. You know, we live in the first world, and God has blessed us with many possessions. If you're thinking, well, uh, bro, that may be true for them, but not for me. Then right there, you're not aware of how good life is for you. First Timothy chapter 6. <clears throat> and we're going to start reading here in verse 6. Paul is writing here to Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Now we're sure about that. <laughs> but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And I'll add to it housing. Now at this time, Paul has said, if we only have food and clothing... We are fired up. <laughs> we're ready to crank. We're ready to go. We're ready to make things happen and to share joyfully our faith. Yeah. I can tell you right now, I am not there. <laughs> and I don't believe any of us are there. But here's the thing we got to realize. Over half the world would love to take your position, your financial position. Well, some of us may be like, but I'm in debt and I don't have enough money. And when am I going to make money so I can pay off my debt? And I'm struggling and God help me. God, where are you? God, God. You're forgetting that every single day you have enough food to eat. You have clean water to drink. You have a house. And Paul says, we got food and clothing. Amen. Life is good in the hood. You know, the, the refining process can be really tough. And it's called refining because it's refining. And refining is never a nice thing to experience, but it's something absolutely necessary. You know, we got special contribution coming up, right? Yeah. How is your faith in making your goal? Yeah. You know, I will make my goal. It's not in my head not to make. You know why? Because before 1990, many people did the same thing. And because of that, I experienced life to the full. If it wasn't for their sacrifice, I wouldn't be here. And I want to sacrifice so that many people we do not know at this moment who speak a language different from our language, a different culture, a different continent, can become disciples and experience life from the full. So my challenge to us is, look at the glass half full, not half empty. Stop complaining. Look at what God gave you. Which one of us suffer from starvation? None. Which one of us have no clean water to drink? None. Which one of us are homeless? 
maybe they're one or two that like uh, kind of insecure, but you have a, a roof over your head. You know, a few years ago, the church in Curacao put money together. So a brother in the Congo, the brother who's leading the church, Ivory Coast, sorry, could buy a bed to sleep on. And I was like, hey man, let's put the money, let's send it. I didn't think much of it, but then they were so super grateful for a bed. So fired up by the messages they were sending. I was like, wow. And I really challenged my gratitude and my view of life. You know, one of the sisters I most admire, her name is Joycelyn. And Michael knows her. Michelle knows her. She, oh, and she's been here. Yeah, she was here. I forgot. Yeah. In the wheelchair. You know, if you hear her life, it's, it, it can make you cry. About 12 to 14 years ago, or 14, 15 years ago, she was living in Colombia. Uh, her and her boyfriend had a son, Glenn. And as they were driving on a motorcycle, a car passed by and started shooting at them. The motorcycle fell over, they were lying on the floor, and the car stopped, and as Joycelyn was laying on the floor, not being able to move or do anything, but being aware of the surroundings, the man came and she heard them saying about her, oh, this one is dead already, no need to shoot her anymore knows who did it, probably it's the, the FARC, the, the guerrilla movement there in, in Colombia that killed her, the, the father of her son, that almost killed her. The doctors gave her no hope of living. After that event, she had to be operated eight times. She was numb from the hip down. Couldn't walk, couldn't feel anything. After that, she had to be operated even more. Her intestines are troubled. Sometimes for weeks, she just cannot go to the bathroom. And, you know, she's in a wheelchair, but what's so awesome? She's not like, why me? Why me? Oh, God, why me? She makes things happen. And people in Curacao, they are admiring. They're like, wow, she is awesome. <laughs> and a lot of people, a lot of religious people often ask her, well, why don't you pray to God to heal you? Why don't you pray to God for a miracle? She says, well, why should I not be like this? Why should this not have happened to me? See, the, what happened to her helped her to start looking for God. It helped her to become a spiritual woman. It helped her to become a disciple. It is still refining her as a disciple. And it is making people go, wow! If she can, what excuse do I have? Now, a couple of years back, there was someone named Claudette. And she read one of her books. She has written two books about her life and everything she's gone through. And she was so impacted by her, she got in touch with Joyce. Because she wanted to help out, if I'm not mistaken, to give her some money to help her for her birthday. She wanted to help. And because she got in touch with her, she later became a disciple. Now I can share about myself, my thorn in the flesh. And we all have like our thorn in the flesh. You know what I mean? Our weakness that we're like, oh God, I, only with you can I overcome this. <laughs> and my thorn in the flesh is anxiety. And Maria, my wife, for years has been telling me, you need to pray more. <laughs> and for years I've been thinking, why don't you keep quiet? <laughs> As time has proven, she was totally right. You know, we came here 
We gave up everything. <laughs> we have no income. We took our savings. We sold the house. The money we had left from that, we brought. I gave up my pension. The money was built up. We took with us. So we have a certain amount of money now to live on until it runs out. And, you know, the kids are fired up. Life was awesome. Life was good. You know, like, oh, we'll always have something. We're not worried. But if you're the provider for the family, the pressure is on you. And I'm here working in football as a player's agent trying to make something happen. And three weeks ago, I went to Finland with a play where he had a trial. And I was so anxious every single day. I couldn't sleep at night. On the way at the airport going back to England, I was super anxious and I thought to myself, I cannot keep living like this. If I do it in five years, I'll be gone. <laughs> so I said, this is absurd. I need to change. And maybe you're going through some anxious moments. If not now, you will in the future. And you know what I did? I started praying. Like Maria's been telling me for years. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed at the airport. See, awesome wife. <laughs> and I prayed until I felt the peace that transcends all understanding come upon me. And since then, three weeks ago, I've been praying more than I've ever prayed in my life. Amen. In the bus, anxiety coming up. God, please help me. Get this. Let me trust you. You're so awesome, so powerful. Help me to understand. After a few minutes, it goes down. But you know, I think God has brought me here, obviously, clearly, not for football. For his kingdom. For my own benefit. And I often think about the, the Israelites in the desert. They left Egypt fired up, didn't they? Yeah. So excited. Having seen the plagues. And they were especially fired up about the ones where they were exempt from. <laughs> the Red Sea opening, they were full of faith, and the Bible says they were marching out boldly. So, they lived happily ever after? No. <laughs> after a few days of no water, Moses, what have you done to us? In Egypt, we had so much food, so much drink, life was so Awesome! You have deceived us! Almost like Moses forced single-handedly four million people to walk out of the country to go into the deserts. But see, the Bible says God was testing them to see what was in their hearts. God was refining them, preparing them to enter the promised land. And we also have a promised land. Is that not so? Yes. It's not here. Amen. It's in this life after. And sometimes we live like this life is all we have to live. And because we forget that there's an afterlife, we are so consumed by our problems, our anxieties. Because we're forgetting that there's a heaven. And we get stressed out, and we lose hair, <laughs> practice what I preach, we get gray and white hairs, our marriage goes downhill because we're just so anxious, but we're not bringing it before God. We're not asking ourselves, what is God trying to teach me? What do I need to change? We're like, God, where are you? God, what happened to all your promises? I got baptized. And we forget. That's what happens when we hit the rocky roads and we have a tender trap heart attitude. Now finally, the third point 
is based on the 1957 movie, Paths to Glory. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. You know, one of the things that's so interesting is that what happens a lot of times to us is that a brother or sister comes to us and his or her sin will in turn make us fall in the exact same sin. Can you relate? Someone comes to you really prideful. And how are you going to react? I'm not take this anymore. Who do you think you are? I have my rights to. You are so prideful. I would never be like that. You know, that's exactly what happened in Mark chapter 10. <laughs> Let's go to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to read there in verse 35. Uh, hold on, hold on here. Let me see. Oh, yeah, I'm in Mark chapter 9. That's why. Okay, then James and John, the two apostles, who wrote the book of some books in the Bible, the sons of Zebedee came to him, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You know, when someone comes to you with that statement, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Well, they could not at that point, (laughs) as they were later to find out when Jesus was arrested. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they were so fired up. (laughs) They became indignant with James and John. Now the question is, why did they become indignant? Because wait a minute. Okay, if there's the right only, I can sit on the left. If the left is there, I can, the right will be open. If they're on the left and the right, I cannot be anywhere. Where does that leave me? i got to put a stop to this. They became indignant because they had the exact same heart as John and James had. I want to be in glory. And there is a trap, brothers, sisters, we have to guard our hearts against. You know, when we become disciples, the the church, the kingdom becomes our community. Is that not true? The church is our community. There we have our best friends. There we have the people that matter most to us. There are the people that can hurt us the most, that can praise us the most. So whereas before we wanted praise maybe at work, in the world, we want people to think we're awesome there. Now we want people to think we're awesome in the kingdom. Now, I love when people think I'm awesome. And we all love it when people think we're awesome. Is that not true? You know, like I said, and the prophet, Michael, is going to preach. Hey, man, prophet, man. Good, good, man. You know, we like to be praised. And yeah, and, and we need to be encouraged on all of that. Going to say something that I don't want us to misunderstand me. God does not want us to be great people, He wants us to do great things. And what I mean with that is, is the condition of our hearts. If we do things because we enjoy being looked upon highly, if we want to be leaders because then we have a higher status instead of I want to use all of my talents for God we're in trouble you know we can be super committed we can be super sacrificial we can be super admired and not be with God because we're not doing it for the cross. 
We started doing it for Jesus and God, but somewhere along the way our heart changed and we love the praise of men. And we got corrupted, our motives changed, and instead of having the attitude that Jesus tells us we must have, the first will be last. The greatest must be the greatest servant. After you've done everything you need to do, you just say, I am not worthy. I have only fulfilled my duties. And for all of us, from a long time ago, we could we were disqualified from saying, I've done everything I need to do. <laughs> Is that not true? Which one of us have done everything God asks us? Every single day. No one. As a matter of fact, at this point in time, for today only, none of us have already have have, have done what everything that God wants us to do. See, humility is so incredibly important. I remember as a young disciple, I left Philadelphia, went to the Bahamas. I was on the mission team. And then they asked me to lead the church. You know, I was definitely a John and James back then. I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to lead the church. And I was, I was happy people believed in me. I really considered it a privilege. But part of me was like, I am moving up the ladder. <laughs> I just got a promotion at a job. I felt good because now I had more uh, respect. And I didn't realize at the time, but looking back now, there was some of that in me. And I even thought to myself, now that I'm a church leader and leading a whole country, maybe they asked me to speak at the next uh, leadership conference. And uh, more people can uh, can see me and recognize me finally after two years of being a disciple. Well, I tell you, man, I I drank that cup. I didn't want to ever drink it again. <laughs> I forgot about leading anything. I, you know, it was the Bahamas was the roughest time in my life spiritually. You know. It's, Started leaving the church. Barry and Lynn Bader were leaving the church. They left. This was in 1993. They left. I was leading the church. Within a month, we had three guys baptized. Things were going great. Awesome. Amen. I was fired up. God is doing great things. And and then things started. The three men that were baptized were infiltrators. See, looking back now, they were never disciples. They they got baptized, and see, in the Bahamas, is very much a, a nationalistic culture where, you know, if you're not Bahamian, then you shouldn't really have any position higher than a Bahamian. And so these people were having an attitude because the person that was supposed to lead the church, a Bahamian, was put aside for, as they would say, this other guy from a coconut island. Well, I have news: the Bahamas also is an island also has coconuts. But that's what they told the brother who was very supportive of me. That's what they told him. Reggie, why are you listening to the guy from a coconut island? I felt really encouraged right there. <laughs> and they put an article in the newspaper with my picture on the front page. Call this, call that, Kip McKean and this and that and everything. And the church was shrinking. And my faith was being destroyed. I had a girlfriend I was leading with. That relationship was really bad. You know what moment I realized the relationship was really bad? We went on a date. I wrote her card. And English not being my first language, I wrote in that card, you make me feel fruity. <laughs> I thought that meant you make me feel good. Then I realized, he said, no, that means, that means you make me feel gay. I said, okay, that's not a good thing. <laughs> but things just went from bad to worse. And I left the Bahamas. And my faith was destroyed. 
And ironically, I left the Bahamas going right to the Philippines where they had the World Leaders Missions Conference, where I thought, maybe I can speak there. Man, I tell you, God humbled me. Because when I was a disciple, it's like, I'm going to become a Bible talk leader. Amen. And we need to be Bible talk leaders. All of us need to strive to be Bible talk leaders, but with the right heart. Then I became a Bible talk leader. I said, I need a church. And then, you know, hey, I want to be a GSL for the Caribbean. And it's like, maybe far away when something happens to Kip. Maybe. Maybe me. Just a fraction of a second, but the thought went through my head. Let me tell you something. I don't want to have anything right now. when you want to be great in the kingdom there's only one way to be great and that is to be stepped upon because that is how Jesus lived his life so guys let us be careful with Satan's illusion let us not fall for the grand illusion which the world sex says the sexual revolution be free yeah. yeah free to do what you want to do and in prison insecure a heart full of pain the rest of your life let us understand as a disciple we will be on the rocky road that is necessary for us to become disciples and when we're going through it let's see what we've got to learn Instead of complaining and getting bitter and discouraged, ask yourself, what is God trying to teach me? And chances are, when you've learned your lesson, if you change God, okay, now we can move on. You've learned this lesson. And then it will be another time of refining, but first it will be a time of peace to recuperate. <laughs> to get, pull yourself back together, to feel fired up, and get ready for the next period of refining. <laughs> and we need to take the path to glory, but God's glory. And not our own. We do that, I believe... God's kingdom will advance. Many will become disciples. We'll be excited. We'll be fired up. We'll be full of joy. Even when life is not going as we would hope it would. Thank you. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events or devotionals you can find all that on our website also once again we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one